You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I dream the dream of days to come. Where sponsorship is high and money is forthcoming. That's beautiful, Kevin. I really added a voice onto that one, too. (laughs) I really was trying to go for something there. Listeners, we love creating this podcast, but it does cost money. Please don't make me sell my Angel record. Oh, my gosh. The original cast recording of Angel. That, like, nobody has. Nobody has it. If you like what we are doing and want us to keep doing more of it, please head over to patreon.com. What? That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. Pat Rion. I feel, like <laughs> Pat Rion. Yeah, Pat, Pat Rion. Rion. Pat Rion. Yeah, and once you're there, search for Behind the Curtain Broadway's Living Legends, and of course, we don't expect to give without receiving some great rewards. Such rewards include behind-the-scenes videos, shout-outs on future episodes, mm. or episodes, depending on what part of the country you're from, because <laughs> I said episodes, and early access to some of our podcasts. Hell, for the right price, Kevin and I will come to your apartment and act out all of Agnes of God. <laughs> yeah. So head over, friends, to P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com to help us out. Hi, I'm Rob Schneider. And I'm Kevin David Thomas. And this is Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Broadway Curtain, and make sure to join our Facebook page at Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. And follow us on Instagram at Broadway Curtain Podcast. Plus, you can always listen to our podcasts on Broadway World and Stitcher. Actor, director, producer, bullfighter. Yes, all of those hats have been worn by today's guests. And as one of Broadway's most supportive voices, his enthusiasm and belief in such shows as Falsettos, The Scottsboro Boys, Waitress, gave the musical theater new stories. And his passion for celebrating the musical theater canon provided us with the revivals of, here's a couple, My Fair Lady, Grease, and the longest-running American musical, Chicago. To tell us what it was like to work with such legends as James Earl Jones, Hal Prince, and Candor and Ebb, here is the man who found love in West Orange, New Jersey. God bless him. Not a lot of people do. Tony Award-winning producer, Barry Weisler. Oh, you guys are good. You're, oh. like, you're like Bob and Ray. <laughs> That's terrific. And the interview's over. Nice to meet you, Barry. We'll see you later. (laughs) You you make it bitter. Well, how exciting. Nice to meet you. Nice Nice to to meet meet you. you. Barry, where'd you grow up? Uh, Jersey City, right across the Hudson River. So close. Uh, You know, we're in our New York office right now, and if you look out the window, you can see my old apartment house. (laughs) What a journey. That must be a nice reminder every day. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't look that way anymore. <laughs> Fair. 
Good for you. <laughs> Always looking in the future. What did your mom and dad do? Uh, my, my mom was a, a homemaker, a housewife, and my dad started his career selling shoes at National Shoe Store huh? and eventually uh, went into housewares. You know what housewares are? Pots, pans, oh, yeah. oh, yeah. shades, blinds. Yeah. Did he have uh, his own, had, own had store? A, yeah, he had his own store. Uh, and those uh, were located uh, throughout New Jersey. Okay. Did he want you to follow in his footsteps? Yes, he did. Uh, yeah, he was very upset when I became an actor. How did you discover acting? Yeah, you know, that, that's an interesting story because it sort of discovered me. Mm-hmm. Um, I was uh, basically illiterate when I got pushed out of high school. I couldn't write a complete sentence. Really? I didn't know how to punctuate a sentence. I read somewhere you got D's or something yeah, like that. It was it really, wasn't... really difficult. Just... Uh, it was it was something to do with uh, you know my mom and dad being immigrants from Eastern Europe, not dealing with uh, children the way we do today, reading to them, exposing mm-hmm. them to movies and right. and and uh, books and artwork. So I was sort of on my own, uh, trying to win my own way. Got into one school in in America that didn't require SATs. Uh, that was Uppsala College in East Orange, New Jersey. So you, even though you didn't, maybe weren't the greatest student in high school, you still knew that college was on the radar. Well, it's the thing you did, you ah. know, in in my community and our kind of family. Yeah. So as long as you could pay your tuition, you got into Uppsala College, <laughs> and uh, there I was that first semester. I played uh, freshman football. Right, you weren't a big athlete. Uh, yeah. Right. yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm not the largest guy, so that ended uh, <laughs> dangerously. <laughs> And again, I I didn't know how to study. I just didn't understand it. Uh, I didn't have comprehensive skills. Mm -hmm. And uh, the dean wrote home uh, a letter to my dad saying, your son's got three Ds, three Fs. If you can't raise this to a C average, you're out. And there I was, the last school I could possibly get into, the last semester of possibly my college life, and I was wandering the campus, not knowing what to do, in a deep state of depression, wound up in the parking lot in the back of the school, and there was this little cottage that was set aside for the school theater. (sighs) And they happened to be rehearsing a play. Um, I didn't know at the time that it was measure for measure this I discovered. I had nowhere else to go, was lonely, opened the door, walked in, and I was completely at home. Sat in the back, watched rehearsals, became part of the company, became an actor, started studying. Make a long story short, I was on the dean's list about one semester later, and uh, that's all she wrote. Here I am. That's incredible. That's like a, that's like a movie. <laughs> I mean, that's incredible. So the arts in some way did save your life. Uh, they saved my life. They made me. They yeah. made me. Now, I still wasn't sure because someone that comes from my background where you're supposed to be a lawyer, a doctor, an accountant, mm-hmm. uh, with a father who owns a houseware mm-hmm. store, mm-hmm. you don't jump into acting. You right. don't know how to do it. Right. So I was wandering the United States trying to find myself after school wound up in San Diego, took daily trips into Tijuana because I discovered bullfighting. And I thought that was the absolute most romantic thing a young man, a young Jewish man could do. 
Can you imagine? Bullfighting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love but, it. Uh, I think there was one very famous Jewish bullfighter from Brooklyn. His name was Sidney Franklin. Oh, And he was God. quite famous. <laughs> uh, that's the only one I know of. Oh, uh, so my I found God. myself studying uh, in Tijuana on a daily basis, took the trolley back and forth from San Diego, lasted about six months, and uh, obviously, I didn't go forward because here I am. Well, did you get in the ring at all? I mean, we're... No. <laughs> Just <laughs> practice and study and... Wow. Uh, it's sort of romantic. Yeah, yeah. But maybe that was a good thing for me in the theater. Well, yeah, it's maybe kind of theatrical. Search it. Go for the dreams. Yeah. Uh, you know, the romance is everything. So then how do you get from Tijuana back to the United States? So now I'm coming home uh, in my little metropolitan Mm two-seater, and I was crossing the uh, Great Salt Lake Lake Desert. Mm -hmm. Uh, The dead of night, it was cooler, the window was open, and somehow or other, that warm desert air, what I had just gone through, and my belief that theater was my life, made me make a final decision to be an actor. And I came into New York City, met with a wonderful woman named Stella Adler. Uh-huh. We all know her. Of course. We all know the Adler family. And I began studying with her. How old were you at this time, uh, would you say? 21. Yeah. What was it about her specific acting technique or her teaching methodology that appealed to you? Uh, that is such a good question. I don't remember. Yeah. I, I can't, I, I, I'll be honest with yeah. you, just somehow or other knew she was the right one. There was Sanford Meisner, Herbert Berghoff, um, uh, Strasburg. Yeah, he was still around. Then. And yeah. uh, Stella. Yeah. And somehow or other, someone either guided me there or I fell into her. I don't remember. Right. But uh, my classmates uh, all went on to great fame. Alvin Ailey. Oh. Lee Grant. Uh, Warren Beatty. Uh, a guy named Bobby De Niro. Whatever happened to him. <laughs> uh, so we, we had Virginia Graham. Yeah. Oh my God. We had yeah. quite a class. Yeah. Was it like a, a conservatory program, like a two-year yes. thing or something? It was, like, it was in a hotel on the east side, and then she moved to Lincoln Square. Uh-huh. There's a church there now. Yeah. Uh, right. In yeah, the yeah. apartment house. Yeah. Uh, and I studied with Stella uh, two and a half years, during which. I was uh, drafted into the army because in those days we were drafted. Yeah. You guys don't remember. No. (laughs) We were spared that. Right. But my goodness, yeah. Uh, Would have done you good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. (laughs) So I I spent, uh, uh, I I had a special program whereby I could serve for six months but had to sign up for seven years so that if there was an emergency, they could pull me back. Got back to acting, and uh, that's all she wrote. When you were acting, were there any playwrights that you particularly admired, or anyone? Is there mm. one like dream role they were like, oh, oh, God, I wanted to do this? You so know, bad. there was always the Tennessee Williams right. and the Arthur Millers and Ionesco and De Gelderode. We did them all. Is there a role today that would lure you back to the stage? No. <laughs> no, the answer is a definitive no. No. So I'm going to withdraw no, my I, offer. I lost it. That, that, that's gone forever. You know, you need those muscles. You have to practice it. And uh, I, I get enough theater. Sure. Believe me. Yeah. So then how do we go from <laughs> acting 
into directing? Because then you started picking up a directing career. Well, I, I guess I wasn't the most popular actor in the world because <laughs> I didn't uh, get that much work. Uh, mm. I, I would work two or three jobs, school tours, Jewish theater for children on weekends. Uh, I did work for Joe Papp, God bless him, uh-huh. toured uh, high schools with Shakespeare. Yeah. But we're talking about very little recompense. Right. And I was lucky if I made $60 a week. So uh, the way to be an actor was to hire myself. So I became a director in a company that I formed with Philip Meister, which was called the National Shakespeare Company. Uh, and uh, I was able to hire myself. So Phil and I would tour, did Shakespeare. It's did like around plays. 1962 or yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And you would um, and you would tour Shakespeare to you bring it to schools. Hi- yeah, yeah, high schools. Yeah, and this was all self motivated on your end, right? To get yeah. all of this. Absolutely. Let me ask you a question really quickly. For those of us that didn't get to work with Joe Papp or get to see his brilliance close up, what made him such a brilliant producer from your point of view? Uh, Joe. Joe. First of all, Joe had. Tremendous taste, and mm. uh, and it wasn't it wasn't uh, commercial taste per se. Uh, there was commercialism in everything he did because it was watchable, it was saleable, sellable. Um, it, it's that he was driven. He was driven to do good theater and to do it in the most creative manner possible and to bring the best creatives with him. He had a vision Mm -hmm. and he followed it Mm -hmm. and he succeeded. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you feel like that's a lesson that you take with you today. So he's a big influence on you. A huge influence. Great. Taught me a great deal. And taught me perseverance Uh and tenacity. Because once you're in this business, if, if you give up, it's easy. You're out. Yeah. You can't give up. It's great. Absolutely <laughs> fantastic. Done. So you're going around, you're touring Shakespeare. Why Shakespeare, by the way? Why was that the... the well, because in the school curriculum, all the uh, uh, high school students read Shakespeare. What's your favorite Shakespeare play? Oh, I don't have a favorite. I have a lot of the measure for measure. Well, that certainly had a... But Taming of the Shrew. Of course. They're all good. Yeah. And I did them all. Yeah. Yeah, either as an actor or a director, director. or certainly as a producer. Do you uh, miss directing? Yeah, I do. Yeah, that I would like to do. You again. want to do that again? Yeah. I don't have time. We right. have too many shows running yeah, around go. the world. <laughs> no. no, that's okay. You're directing a wonderful, wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? You know what it gives me? It gives me the ability to communicate with my directors. <laughs> I can speak to Walter Bobby on his level, Diane Paulus on right. her level. Uh, it's very helpful to know what they're trying to do and where they are at a given moment and where their 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 goals are. Uh, I I don't uh, I don't get anxious about it because I know the process. The yeah. process, yes, indeed. How does Fran come into your life? Oh my goodness! I met Fran on tour with right? the National Shakespeare Company in a theater in a shopping mall, and just by happenstance, Fran was in the box office uh-huh. that day, and we became friendly. And that friendship has lasted, well, 
a few years before and then 50 years after marriage. We're yeah. going to have our 50th anniversary, uh, June June 25th. It's fantastic. Are you going to do something exciting? Oh, hopefully? yeah. Yeah, we're deciding now. Good. You, know? <laughs> you guys deserve nothing but the best yeah, on that wonderful. one. Oh, yeah. How exciting. Okay. Now, did you say theater in a shopping mall? In a shopping mall, West Orange, uh, Essex Plaza. Beautiful. God, I'm remembering all uh, of right? these things. You're getting it out of me. I know. I haven't said these words in a long time. <laughs> Essex Plaza Shopping Center. Why? And she was just working at the box office? Yeah, like she was local? She was I mean, she was from local. that. Yeah. She lived in West Orange. <laughs> It was just happenstance. And eventually she you had her she joined the company and uh, eventually uh, she she was helping me visit schools and sell them on the program right. we were doing and Philip and I separated and Fran and I formed the next honorific company, the National, National Theater, Theater company. company. And what was the mission of the National Theater Company? Uh, in in the beginning, in the inception, it was to play programming, theater programming in all levels of education, elementary, high school, college. Wow. And uh, piece by piece, little by little, we achieved that. Our, our first play in uh, Catholic high schools was Everyman, the medieval oh. alligator. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Right? Oh, and, my goodness. Uh, Aladdin and his magic lamp was the first I elementary that one school down. show. That's right. Was it Fran's objective in her life to also get into this field? No. No, she just, uh, I'm lucky. She wanted to be with me. I wanted to be with her. So uh, we were together in this adventure that I wanted that she accepted. That's beautiful. Yeah. But boy, was she good at it. Yeah. I mean, you talk about making appointments with these uh, uh, sisters and brothers and priests and public school administrators. Fran was the best. What has she taught you in terms of producing? I mean, obviously, she's given you so many beautiful life lessons, but... In terms of producing? Yeah. uh, I'll tell you what she's taught me. It's not so much what she's taught me. It's the way she edits that's that is the finest thing she brings to me, where she can look at my work and help me refine it and make it better. Huh. That's fantastic. Yeah. Everyone should have a partner like that. Oh yeah. oh yeah, right. Yes, sir. Okay, so how do we then go from this national theater experience into getting into the world of commercial producing? Well, there's Shakespeare again. Yeah. Here we are in the school. showing and up. We're doing Shakespeare and we're doing Arthur Miller and Tennessee Williams. And, and we start working colleges with one person shows. Uh, Leslie Nielsen in Clarence Darrow, uh, Julie, Julie Harris in the, De- um, in the Bell of Amherst. And would you commission these people and go, Leslie, do you want to play yes. Clarence Darrow? Yes. Julie was already doing yeah, uh, yeah. The, uh, the Bell of Amherst, but Leslie, no, we brought him in. Uh, and uh, another one we did was uh, Paul uh, Robeson, and that starred James Earl Jones. Was that filmed? Am I remembering that correctly? That was filmed for PBS, or am I making that up? I don't think James uh, filmed it for PBS. Something else may okay. have been. Okay, so, but James Earl Jones... Check it out. I'm, I, I'm not sure, and okay. I don't remember. And this was around... This was to colleges, and still... That was to colleges and, and educational centers. Yeah. Just really quickly, Barry, I have to ask you, you're so passionate, it seems, about arts and education. Have you ever taught at any point? Not really. No. Huh. No. Are you offering me a job? I would love to <laughs> offer you a job. Seems like you, you'd use the extra money. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, but seriously, you're so passionate. Everything you're yeah. talking about is bringing arts to children, arts to students. I'm just wondering if you've ever actually sat in a classroom and. Yeah. Well, I'm sure I've uh, I've had seminars and symposiums. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've done that, but nothing in a I was just curious. Basis. Wow. So here we are doing all of these one wonderful one-person shows, and there was a problem with Paul Robeson uh, and Paul Robeson's son, and Jimmy um, declined to uh, pick up a tour that we had booked. And it was a big deal for us because James Earl Jones was the star of the year for Fran and me. Yeah. Uh, now we were out of our Paul Robeson show, and all I could tell you is Jimmy said he would owe me one. And I was, uh, I don't want to go into all of the emotion that went with canceling an entire season that meant the world to Fran and me, yeah. especially economically. Sure. And just by happenstance, uh, I was looking at the New York Times and noticed that the Stratford Shakespeare Festival in Connecticut uh, was doing Othello. And I'm sorry, I'm skipping, scratch that. Uh, the Stratford Shakespeare Festival was doing uh, Henry the Fourth, Part oh. One and Two, with Christopher Plummer. Uh huh. And I took a chance and I called the uh, managing director, uh, Charlie Parker, <sighs> and Dick can't remember his last name, and mentioned that I had James Earl Jones available. Would they drop one of the productions? Do Othello with Christopher Plummer playing Iago and James Earl Jones as Othello. And they said they'd call me back shortly. And it took about two minutes for the phone to ring. And they said, yes, we'll do it. And I said, and of course, you have to pay for it. And of course, we'll do that. We'll <laughs> take our Henry budget and we'll put it on to Othello. We did Othello with James Earl Jones and Christopher Plummer, good old William again, William yeah. Shakespeare. It was the biggest success they had ever had at Stratford. Really? So what did I know? I, I'm touring, so I picked it up, and we started touring the show around Canada and the United States. Wow. Uh, of course, uh, I'm, I'm not telling you the sh sturm and drum that went to getting Christopher and Jimmy to tour. It, it's, yeah, that's another like, story. Because they they were stars at this <clears throat> oh, point. I mean, like yeah. this is absolutely yeah. major stars. Yeah, and we toured the cities of the United States and Canada, and we're grossing a million dollars a week Dang. out of nowhere. And this is the first like tour of that caliber that yes. you've done produced. Yes, me, absolutely. I'm yeah. going to ask you a question. I want to jump back for a second. Obviously, now you have this fantastic track record, but when you and Fran are first starting out. How did you get people to give you money? Where did this money come from? Yeah, nobody gave us money. I don't know where it came from. Uh, I was loading trucks for Canada Dry, for goodness sake. Wow. And I guess taking every penny I had, and we borrowed from the bank, and we put our house up and just kept going. That's where it was coming There's from. There's the right? tenacity. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. the tenacity. All right, so then let's jump back. So, so you've done this here we are touring, and uh, it's a huge hit. And uh, Fran and I look at each other and say, well, we do Shakespeare, so let's do it on Broadway. <laughs> and uh, we went to Cy Leslie, dear Cy Leslie, at CBS Fine Arts, which was their 
uh, their um, more classical film division. Mm. And we told them what we wanted to do, but we needed money to refurbish sets, costumes, uh, upgrade rehearsals, and, of course, uh, advertising. Right. And uh, he came across as long as he had the rights to tape the production. So now we had the money from Mr. Leslie, uh, got the Winter Garden Theater. Perfect. Who knew? Uh, I, I think we were the last show in before Cats, yeah. frankly. And it was a huge hit. How did you pitch this to Mr. Leslie? How did, how did, what, what do you do? James Earl Jones, Chris Plummer, and yeah. that's, that's pretty much yeah. it? Yeah. And, and the success it was enjoying on the road across the United States. Right. So you could say, it's going to make money. It's going to, yeah. yeah. Yep, and and it won the Tony Award. It certainly did. Yeah, that's pretty First good. Time up. Pretty good freshman outing at um, Broadway, freshman Mr. Weisler. Right next to it because that was already going. You know, when the, when the the waves are flowing correctly, you know, and yeah, the, and 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 you're you're going along with the 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 uh, the proper flow. Right with it came Zoe Caldwell in a production of uh, Medea, directed by her husband Bob Whitehead. Another famous producer. Yeah. yeah. And uh, lo and behold, then comes Your Arms Too Short to Box with God with uh-huh. Patti LaBelle and Al right. Green. And all of that happened in the first year. That's First incredible. time. Zoe won a Tony. We won a Tony. And Your Arms Too Short to Box with God knocked the audiences out. What do you know now that you wish you could have told yourself on those first couple of ventures out? Not one thing different. <laughs> Nothing. Love it. You just go with the flow, and if it's right, it's it's going to fall into place. It's going to succeed. Were you were you and friend living in New York City at this time? No, we we had a home in West Orange, New Jersey. Oh, so you were yeah, where yeah. you met? Forgive me. This is 1982. You're talking yeah. about. Yeah, we were we were in uh, one Lincoln Plaza. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, okay. You know, yeah. Broadway and uh, 63rd Street. Perfect. Yeah. Oh my God. And so that 1982 was a good year for you guys as producers. Yeah. Did everything change a little bit? Were all of a sudden were investors knocking on your door? You know, because now you've won a Tony Award for for play. Well, you know, we didn't have any investors outside of uh, CBS Ah. uh, in Othello. So we didn't really know how to go about raising money. Everything we had done... We had done a handmade. Right. We took deposits from schools to make the shows that we later presented to them and then got the full payment. Incredible. We borrowed money from the bank. Well, you don't do that for Broadway. Right. And I think you helped me out. The fourth production we did was... Was it my one and only, or was it Zorba? Zorba. 1983, Zorba. So now we have to raise money. Uh-huh. Uh, and now we reach out to uh, various people and organizations, but we had Anthony Quinn. Mm-hmm. So that made that one uh, fall right into place. And with that, I think we did uh, uh, Cabaret with you, Joel Gray. Very you did close. do. And, and I'm curious, though, before that, you, you, actually, you produced, and he was one of our guests, actually, Andre DeShields. Harlem Nocturne. Yeah, that I was, mean that's a that was that a, was not a cabaret was, or a Zorba. We found that no. at La Mama. Oh, yeah, I forgot all about that one. We found that at La Mama. Yeah, went to the old Latin Quarter, which was on Forty Seventh Street. Yeah, you know, right there between oh, Broadway yeah? and Seventh, and had the biggest failure. 
And those are those are the sad moments because it was terrific. Yeah, yeah. I wish I could have done it all over again. I I would know so much more about how to produce that piece. Yeah, you know, because that was not meant for your mainline theater critics. That was meant for social critics. That was meant for music critics. Mm. Uh, and we, of course, we didn't know enough, and we went after theater. And well, that's fascinating. Not, and this is a question I, I always have, or we always have for, for producers, because I find that you, you are in a position where you have to balance art and commerce. Right. You, and, and, and sometimes you take a hit for going after the art on the you know on, on the money side, and I and, and I'm amazed that after you know this is your fourth Broadway show and you're taking a, a real risk in a, in a piece like a social well, piece like well, this. Well, we didn't know it was of that nomenclature at the time. We thought it was great entertainment, yeah. beautifully yeah. done. It was a wonderful, wonderful evening of music and performance. We just didn't know how to market a piece like mm-hmm. that. We made all our mistakes. You know, we've yeah. done other things for love, falsettos, <laughs> uh, Scottsboro Boys. Thank you for that. Uh, these these were wonderful shows. Falsettos succeeded. Scottsboro, which is an absolute gem, one of my favorite pieces of all time. Couldn't draw, uh, couldn't get an audience. I, you know, I, but it seems to be doing pretty well now on the road and in regional productions, which is... Well, it's done many regional productions. We did Philadelphia. We did the tour in the United States. Um, the uh, Young Vic did a yeah. production, yep. uh, which I helped them uh, put together in London. But it, it hasn't really found an extended life. Right. That's what unfortunate. It, what is it, gentlemen? Is it that people don't want to suffer the material? What what is the problem? I don't I don't because it's understand. to me in my book that's what theater's all about. What you if, if pieces like Scottsboro Boys and Violet, I love Violet as well. If they did not exist, then I don't I, I don't want to be a part of it. Yeah, I, I don't I don't. So it's hard to answer that question because I can't comprehend a world that Scottsboro doesn't exist. Yeah, but you're right. It's it's very challenging material. It's a it's a very emotionally overwhelming thing, mm-hmm. and most people don't want to if they're going mm-hmm. for an escape. <clears throat> they probably don't want to go to sit to be. Reminded of these horrible things, which I think is a shame mm-hmm. because I think it is so life affirming. I think it is such mm-hmm. a celebration of this journey. So I, I wish we had an answer for you, Ben. Yeah, I really wish we did because it is special, and we encourage all of our listeners to listen to. We did a podcast about. We did it, a whole feature we? on it. Oh yeah, yeah, a while back. Let me ask you a question: uh, Going from the Shakespeare plays into the world of producing musicals with ah. things like My One and Only and Zorba, did that give you and Fran any sort of concern? Like, oh wow, we were, we were known as the play people, we're known as the Shakespeare people. Now all of a sudden, we're going into Different territory, or not did, really? Didn't even think about it. That's great. Just, well, just did. Uh, we we have a, a certain uh, degree of judgment. Our degree of judgment, friends and mine, is if we have to sit through rehearsals and tech and dress rehearsals and all the shows that are at the beginning a hundred times. Uh, we better enjoy what we're putting on that stage. And we do it from our hearts and our eyes and our spirit. Uh, so if we don't enjoy and believe in what we're putting uh, on stage, we don't do it. That's incredible. That's the marker. Why Zorba? Why Anthony Quinn? Did he approach you? Did you approach him? What, what made you feel like this show needed to be seen again by a new audience? Um, we, we had access to the property. Um, I I had uh, a negotiation to uh, buy the rights, and he was the first one that came into mind. Uh, We had the Greek director, Michael Kakianis, who had done the film, who wanted to do it for us. We had Lila Kedrova, who was 
that marvelous, marvelous, uh, beautiful, strong, fragile bird mm. of an actress mm -hmm. who wanted to do it. And uh, Fran and I spent hours and hours of agony visiting with Anthony, talking to him, convincing him. Uh, but he always wanted to do it, but we, he, right. we, had, right. to, we had to put the, 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 um, uh, the, the throw on him. Right, the charm, uh, yeah. yeah to, to get him to do it. And uh, it was just something that we believed was the right put together. Oh, and by the way, it's a brilliant score. Oh, oh my God. It's I'll, amazing a score. It's one of the great theater scores. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. So uh, there you go. Incredible. Yeah. Do you ever get scared? All the time. All the time. I, it's not scared the way I did at the beginning where, uh, you know, it would, every encounter would frighten me. Mm. No, it's not like that anymore. I, I'm concerned. I want it to work. But, uh, you know, the, the early days of, uh, of feeling that terrible, terrible injury when something failed, mm. uh, I control that now. You know, mm -hmm. years of doing something teaches you uh, right. how to handle yourself in, in failure. How do you think producing has changed from, let's say, doing something like Waitress to doing something 30 years ago like Zorba? Are there any big changes that you're seeing or any way that you do it differently than you Are did 30 years changes, ago? Are there changes, really? I mean, right. we're, we're a flesh and bone industry. We deal with humanity. Uh, has anything really changed in the theater? I mean, brighter lights? Uh, right. pieces that move easier. What really has changed? I mean, the Greeks did it, the Romans yeah. did it, the Jews did it. Yeah. We all did it. Yeah. Yeah. We all do theater. So I, I don't know if uh, anything has become modern. Cabaret. Yes, sir. Working with Hal Prince. Yeah, that what's was it, wonderful. What's it like to work with a director who was also a producer himself at one point? Uh, you know, we had our good days and we had our bad days. Uh, someone like Hal, whom we came to early in our careers, uh, you know, tolerated us. Huh. Uh, someone like Jerome Robbins, who was helping us when we produced Fiddler on the Roof with Chaim Topol, did not tolerate us if we gave him a note. He, that was the end of it. He wouldn't speak to us again. Robbins. Robbins. He was just... That's how you, it. How do you handle conflict? Um, uh, which one? <laughs> how many? <laughs> what day? <laughs> All right. <laughs> Hypothetical. Director. Designer. Arguing. Not getting on the same page. Yeah. You are in charge. You must somehow mm -hmm. pacify this situation. How do you handle conflict? Yeah, that, well, that, that happens mm -hmm. a lot. Um, uh, there are times when I force a mutual understanding, and uh, I give in a little, and left gives in, and right gives in. And there are times where I change personnel. And uh, that's not unusual. Right. Um, I, I'm not going to go into current shows, but there have been shows where we've had three layers of creatives. Uh, we couldn't get it right. They couldn't get it right. And we said goodbye to each other. We tried another level. It wasn't right. We tried a third. Spent a lot of money getting there, and it worked. And this is sometimes without the public even knowing. I mean, the public doesn't know. They won't know that maybe this director is billed, but... Two other directors actually worked on the piece. That's, right. That's what you're saying. That's right. Or um, composer, lyricist, writers. Uh, uh, the, that, that's more the, the, the changes that occur. Yeah. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. How do you handle something like that? So let's say you've hired a director. Once again, this is all hypothetical. We're not using any any real names or people. Um, you hired a director. You see it's not working out. At what point do you make the decision we're going to let them go. Do you sit down and talk to them first and go, listen, the vision that you're putting on stage is not the vision that's appropriate for the piece? Or do you just go, listen, we're going to cut our losses early on in the process and we're going to replace you? You know, if we hire a director, it's because we believe that man or woman has the craft, the ability, the vision to to bring the piece home. Um, and, and usually we're right. 90% of the time we're right. Uh, if indeed... One's going left, and we should be going right in terms of approach to a Mm -hmm. piece. Uh, We try to bring them back on the right path, or we let them convince us. Um, I I know the ending of Falsettos. Uh, I was trying to get James to break the whole company up and have them all as individuals at the end, and he just didn't buy it, and he kept pushing an idea that I said, James, that's so gunky, Mm. which was the entire company come together in one hug, one huddle. Well, guess what? We did it his way. Mm -hmm. He was right. I was wrong, and the ending was uplifting. Yeah. So you you know it's uh, you give a little, you take a little. As long as the person you're working with has the ability, yeah, you find a way. And trust is a big part of that too. It seems trust is a very big part of it. But you don't have to trust. You see it right in front of you. It's not. uh, It's not a surprise. Mm. One of the exciting things about the shows that you produce is a lot of them. I don't know if you intend them to be, but a lot of them turn out to be star vehicles in some way, something like Anthony Quinn and Zorba or bringing Joel Gray back to do Cabaret again. How do you make somebody that's got a very large name feel comfortable into the project they're going to be involved with? Well, you know, different strokes for different folks. <laughs> uh, you, you know, there's no, there's no one formula. Uh, with uh, Mr. Quinn, it was always uh, Fran and I as acolytes sitting at his feet, listening mm. to his stories, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, uh, making him feel very needed. Mm-hmm. Uh, with uh, someone like Tommy Toon, it was getting the work done. It was uh, delivering the pieces that he need to make a show. Uh, did you ever see My One and Only? Yes, I did. Did yeah. you see the curtain call that man put on to oh the show? God. It was an entertainment unto itself. Right. It never ended. It just layered and layered and layered. I thrilled to each performance I ever saw of that show. It was wonderful. Great <laughs> entertainment. Uh, so you, you, each one of these are, are dealt with on a different level and have different needs. 
But you enjoy, it seems you really enjoy the human interaction of it. You're not a producer. I like there's, there's, the, <laughs> there's the money. I'm heading out of town. You are I so better. invested in all of this. This is, this is so incredible to hear. You want to talk a little bit about Gypsy? I do. I'm, I'm, I, first, I just want, I'm curious, because you did so much Shakespeare before you came to Broadway. You did so much Arthur Miller, Tennessee Williams. Was musical theater or musical comedy on your radar yeah, even then? Yeah, sure. We, we did things like the world of musical theater. We did ersatz programs that had something to do with the musical theater piece. <clears throat> but we, we never got into the major shows in those days. Right. I mean, it was for schools. It was for colleges, high schools. Right. Uh, it was simpler. Is there a benefit to producing a, mus- a big musical like, um, you know, like, like Fiddler um, or Gypsy instead of Cat on a Hot Tin Roof? What's the benefit of doing a musical over a play? Or is there? No, there there's no benefit. Okay. Uh, they're all wonderful. Right. Some have music, some don't. <laughs> so so, so with Gypsy then, we got Gypsy with Time Daily. I love it. <laughs> Where he's got the most practical advice. Like it's like it's Shakespeare. Sense 101. It's like Shakespeare, whatever. It doesn't matter. It. It's, it's all good. I mean, look at that poster right there. I right? mean, she's gorgeous. We're looking at guy. Kathleen Turner and Cat in a Hot Tin Roof, and all you can look at is Kathleen Turner, to be honest. Mm-hmm. She was just right for the moment. The play was right for her, yeah, uh, and it was a huge, huge success. And my dear friend Howard Davies, who passed away mm-hmm. last year, yes. unfortunately, uh, directed the hell out of yeah. the piece. He's a director that I don't think gets the credit he deserves. Or is it no. Me? So can we talk a little bit about the genius that was Howard Davies? Yes. What made him so good? Uh, he had uh, the ability. He had the craft. He had the vision. Uh, he, he had the vocabulary. Uh, he had all of the ingredients that makes for great director. When did he first come onto your radar? Uh, I, I'm, I'm trying to think if it was Nick Heitner, because we were trying to get Nicholas to do a play. Uh, we were there when Nicholas did his very first produ- professional production at Chichester. Mm. So it was that world that led us to Howard. And I don't quite remember... Uh, exactly, perhaps it was the fact that Howard had done Cat on a Hutton Roof at the National. Mm. Some something like that opened yeah. the door to our meeting each other. And who was your big daddy in that production? Oh my, uh, uh, help me out, Charles Durning. Oh, was he? Oh my God, was he good? Oh dear, was that wonderful, Charles Durning? Doesn't get any better. Yeah, that was a great production. You know. He won the Tony Award for that. Yes, he did. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yes, he did. And she sold every seat out plus standing room every night. Wow. That's incredible. And what a great way to bring that wonderful playback. Mm-hmm. Is, what do you like and about And may I say something else? Yeah. I bought that slip that she's wearing. Did you really? I did. I even do that. <laughs> I, I knew it had, to be, it had to be just right for her. And we went shopping and found that. And that became the key costume. That's what she was. That's amazing. <laughs> we're, 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 explain to your listeners. We, we're, we're looking at yeah, her. We'll post a photo of this uh, for you guys. But it's this huge poster of the gorgeous Kathleen Turner. And she is wearing a beautiful slip with legs for days. Um, and perfectly captures the essence of Maggie 
in this one photograph. I wonder who took the photograph. Remember who took the photograph? Uh, no, it's that great. I can't help you with. I no. usually know my photographers. I don't remember that one. It's just a really, really, it's a sexy picture. It's I have stunning. nothing else to say except that it's and, incredibly sexy. And if you sexy. do yourself a favor, guys, go back to YouTube and catch the commercial we did for this because that was the first time she wore the slip looking in a mirror, speaking to Brick behind her. It's a great commercial. See, and, and, and listeners know that Rob loves his Broadway commercials from the 90s oh, and 80s. Oh, I do. I, re so. I really, really do. Let me ask you, how do you work with your marketing teams on this? So let's talk about, let's take Cat on the Hot Tin Roof yeah. for an example. Do you come to them and go, it's got to be about Kathleen Turner, it's got to be about sex, it's got to be sultry, or do they come to you saying, this is what we think it should be? How does I, that I, mean, I think it's a merger of yeah. ideas, uh, but we're very active in marketing. We, we don't just take orders. We, we have a, a rapprochement. We, we sit together and decide together what something should be. I will spill out a hundred ideas of what I'd like, uh, and I try to find marketing people that can edit me mm -hmm. and help me and show me a different way. Have you ever been in a position where you're producing a show and you go, how the hell do we market this? Uh, Scottsboro Boys was, mm. uh, was uh, that uh, uh, question. Uh, Falsettos was that uh, question. Um, yeah, how do you market it? We sit and we ponder and think. Yeah. Do you, are you embracing social media? Are you embracing the Oh, Facebook? my goodness. It's everything, isn't it? Yeah. Well, well, social we just, media and digital. <laughs> we just oh, saw yeah. you and you Something were... Something I never even knew. Snapchatting your grandson, your great-grandson just a minute that. ago. Yeah. Yeah, but I have people that help me. <laughs> <laughs> so do you I, know, Barry. The, so do I. The bullfighting days are over. <laughs> right. I, have, I have young people here who say, Barry, don't, you don't... You, oh, my you God. You go on YouTube. Okay. All right. It's, an, it's, an, it's a new world, Golda. That's what uh, we say. <laughs> it's a new world, Golda. I wouldn't know what to do without them. Yeah. No, my God, bless them, because I still don't know what to do. I'm happy I can turn my phone on and off. Sometimes that doesn't even happen. With all of the social media that's out there today, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, blogs, YouTube, etc., do you feel that with so many voices expressing opinions on shows that the power of the critics is dissipating any? Absolutely, yes. This is true. Yeah. Uh, but it's always been that way. Yeah. Uh, we can't fool ourselves. Uh, they, the times, if, if someone wants to see something, the times cannot break uh, that desire. Mm. There's been many, many shows that have gotten poor reviews from the New York Times, like Wicked. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Right. That's doing just fine. Mm -hmm. No problem. And I've had a few shows like that. Uh, so the critics can't break a show. But when you're doing an esoteric piece of theater, when you're doing Scottsboro Boys, right. you do need Ben Brantley to give you a little bit of a boost. And he didn't want to do it. <laughs> Uh, he thought it was sentimental. He thought it was uh, uh, the, the, the crown of thorns lay too heavy. Uh, I didn't think anything mm. like that. No way. Nor did people like you who no came way. and got so much out of it, both, both in, in information and in entertainment. Totally. What a great show that was. So when, when you're doing something of that ilk, you could use the intellectual critics. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, mm, makes no difference. Mm -hmm. Have you ever wrote to a critic and said, what the hell are you thinking? No, I don't. No, I, I suffer silently. Mm. <laughs> what good is it going to do? Exactly. Um, you know, 
I hear your curtain, not your curtain speeches, but your first day of rehearsal speeches are something pretty special. Oh, really? Who that's, told you that? I heard that from a little birdie named Ken Davenport. Okay, well, that's fantastic. <laughs> so, I wouldn't know. I don't know. I just go and I, uh, you know, welcome everyone. So I was going to ask you if there was a special like skill or artistry behind it. What do you, what do, you do on the first day? Now you've, got, you've worked so hard to get this project off the ground. It's finally the first day of rehearsal. Thank God. What do you say to everybody, well, uh, Captain uh, of the uh, Ship? Bless you, Ken Davenport, but to be honest with you, in the old days, I would prepare a speech and I would inspire everyone. I haven't done that in years. Uh, there's too much work to be done. I, I, I welcome them and uh, I tell them what a joy it is to be on this journey with them. And I let the director take over. So uh, there, there's no emotional lift. The day itself is emotional enough. Right. You don't have to add to it. Were you ever interested in going into like an artistic directorship at like at a not-for-profit, or has it always been boom commercial theater? I'm interested in that. I do a lot of not-for-profit. Yeah, a lot. I work uh, at the Old Globe, uh, the Alley, uh, ART, La Jolla. So it's not uh, Chicago. I've done a few not-for-profit theater pieces. Yeah, I, I think it's important. What do you like about working in those regional markets? What do they give you that you can't get in New York? If there is anything, oh, uh, you know, it's it's not a matter of uh, failing or succeeding. It's a matter of doing good work and hope it's appreciated, uh, or it's not appreciated. But that's all it's about. It's it's about the creation itself. Mm. Let's talk about Greece. Oh my goodness! Because I'm I'm looking on your wall here. There's a lovely pink ladies jacket. Did I and- did I do Greece? <laughs> <laughs> Who Do you knows? know that was the, that was the longest running uh, American revival in history, the longest running until this this other show you did, right? Tidbit called Chicago <laughs> that ran four years. Yeah, four years versus the yeah. twenty years. Twenty years that you're going on in Chicago. Chicago, amazing. Ma- mazel tough on both. You broke yeah. your own record. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> Thank you. But that was a lot of fun. Oh. That was good because uh, we did it in a very special way. It's still Greece, you know. It's Greece is a neighborhood entertainment. Yeah. Okay, you know, you're you're not dealing uh, with the gypsy style or or a West Side Story. Right. It's a different entertainment. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Tommy Toon, uh, bless him, did a great job in our production, and we cast it properly. Uh, I learned how to find the right people that attracted the public that could do the show. Rosie O'Donnell, Brooke Shields, uh, Patrick Swayze. Yeah. Just went on and on and on. How active are you in, find, in helping with the casting? I mean, are you in the room and you're... You, totally. You, yeah. Completely. How can you not be? How can... How, you know? Agreed. You came seeking me because I have something that you want to hear. Right. You didn't go to, uh, you know, a stranger. Yeah. And I do the same thing. I want someone in my show that I feel can deliver a certain element, a certain style and personality and talent. And um, I have my casting director search that person out, or I make the calls myself. What happens if the director and you have slightly different visions on the lead? Do you have to negotiate a little bit? (laughs) Oh, sure. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. But that's fine. That's That's, that's part of it. As long as we trust each other. 
Let me ask you a question about this Greece revival, because Greece has such an interesting history. So it opens on Broadway. Then it has this incredibly successful movie. And I think more people remember the movie storyline than they actually do the original Broadway storyline. Was that a concern for you when you were bringing it back? People are going to be expecting the John Travolta thing, and it's it's not originally what happened. Was that a, an issue? No. No. <laughs> I didn't think about it. It's great. No. Just did it. Just do it. That should be just emblazoned just on the it. wall here somewhere. Yeah. Just, just, just do, do it. it. Um, did you feel a lot of people? Think Let me tell you one more. Yeah. Please forgive me no, for no, interrupting please, please, you. Please, please. But the important thing about Greece, the thing I learned, is there are certain shows for certain people. We didn't draw a, a theater audience. We remember, if you recall, uh, was it the O'Neill we were at? I forget. You were at the O'Neill. The O'Neill. And and it was connected to a hotel. So we were able to get the downstairs area of the hotel. We turned it into something called 50s, where we sold uh, our souvenirs and made hot dogs and popcorn and pizza. It's like an event. Uh, Yeah. So we we had a club restaurant that was attached to the theater. You could actually go into the theater through the club and we were drawing an audience that ordinarily wouldn't go to the theater mm-hmm. so parents and we and we had a dance concert before half at half hour huh. so instead of everyone just filing into the theater at half hour they usually were packed because we did a dance concert <sighs> and parents would bring their children mm-hmm. and the girls were wearing poodle dresses and they were six years old mm-hmm. and little boys came and by the time we had uh, sent the word out about this and people spoke to each other the stage would be packed so I had to have security keeping uh, young people off the stage so they wouldn't get hurt. And then we ran a concert, and uh, the disc jockey in the show, I forget the character's Vince name. Fontaine. Vince Fontaine. Jeez, Vince Good Fontaine. Good job. Good for you, man. Thank oh, you. God. And, and you. he would go around, and he would push off the losers and push, push, <laughs> until the last one, right before the, the show would begin, would win, and they'd get... T-shirts yeah. and hats, and it became an event. Wow! It became something very special. I didn't know. So that. we drew an audience that ordinarily didn't go to the yeah. theater, and gave them an experience learned. that they don't usually get going to the theater that as is well. Correct. That's and I correct. think it's cool that you bring in so many different people from so many areas that aren't necessarily associated with theater mm. to come and take these roles over. Like, for example, I think you had Joe Piscopo, right? That's right. I, 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 <laughs> is, Good know, old Joe. I haven't seen him do Hamlet anywhere, so well. I'm assuming he doesn't have a theater career. But I think that's so exciting. Some people call that stunt casting. What do you call that? Um, uh, appropriate casting. Appropriate for the piece we're dealing with. Uh, Melanie Griffith, uh, yes. you know, for sure. Chicago, uh, Melanie, uh, oh, Melanie, if you're listening, don't you kill me, uh, is not the greatest dancer, not the greatest singer, is a, a very special kind of actress. Uh, and she was doing Roxy, which demands enormous dancing, singing, and acting ability. Uh, and it didn't matter. She was wonderful mm-hmm. because she was Roxy. Right. Uh, so, uh, you know, you, you find your way and you mix and match. Yeah. When you're not uh, producing, when that sounds, that sounds like you're never producing, my God, but when you're done here at the office, 
How often are you out of the theater? How often are you watching film, television, always trying to get ideas? Is it a pretty consistent thing? All the time. All the seven time. days a week. So, so a producer is always researching. You're flying to London. Yeah. You're seeing a new play. You're, 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 you know, you're... Well, I, I have a staff that does an awful lot of the footwork now. Right. Uh, there's a limit to what I can uh, see. But in terms of watching programming at night, absolutely um, I'm I'm into uh, Big Little Lies now. We just watched it last night, my wife and How I. How is it? Oh, my I seen God, it it's amazing. Guys, it I, is, if I could just get those women on right? stage, Nicole Kidman, um, uh, Reese Witherspoon, oh and uh, 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 Laura Dern, isn't oh, she? She's mean? amazing. Well, isn't she mean? <laughs> she's really crazy. Like that I scene made, from that episode. What, is this on HBO? Yeah, you got to see yeah, it. It's HBO like, does everything, but, right? You know, you, you have to look at the and and all of these people have done stage. Sure, sure, I'm sure. not discovering right, anyone. No, no, no. But if I could find a vehicle. Uh, for all of them together, yeah. or one, or or uh, 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 what's her name? Um, oh, I am so sorry, Carrie, um, Carrie Russell. Okay, yes. Russell. yeah. She's Is it Rice, the gentleman, Reese Martin, uh, the fellow that plays her husband? Oh, I know who you mean. And the Americans. Yeah, oh, I, I haven't watched that one. Uh, I I would love to get the couple uh, into a play, yeah. or let him play Billy Flynn and let her do Roxy. Yeah. Be sensational. <laughs> so that I should take that. us now to Chicago. Well, I'm curious oh, yeah. about falsetto. Oh, you're going to jump to falsetto. I, I got go to. I have to go sure. back there because Please. we were talking about art versus commerce, and you were saying this is an example of a piece that we did for mm. for art, like yes. Scott's World Boys. Yeah. How did falsettos come into your your radar? I know that it was at it was at playwrights for a while. Were you uh, why why did you pick this one so, up? So it's such a funny story. Uh, we were working with Bill Finn on a few things and had no intention of getting that done, but two things happened. One, I went up to Hartford and I saw a production, Graziella Daniel. Yeah, we've heard a lot together. about this production. Yeah. Yeah. And she showed us how the original and the second one could be put together as an evening, mm -hmm. one evening with an intermission. And... Um, Build. We we worked our way to doing it when she could not find the time to direct it for us, and James Lapine was available, and something happened. I can't really remember the circumstances, but I know Bill was very emotionally depressed about not getting it done, and Fran, uh, in a fit of uh, love, said, "Bill, we'll do it." We'll get it done. And I don't remember all the circumstances, but having seen Graziella's production, I knew it was wonderful. Having Fran promise to Bill we'd do it, we mm -hmm. had to deliver, and that's how it got on. It's incredible. My goodness. Well, th and thank you for getting it on, because mm -hmm. I'm sure you know how much it means to so many people. Did you see the most recent production? I did. It yeah. was lovely. Yeah. yeah. Lovely. Uh, Ours was at the right time, uh, you know, because we knew all of that now. You know, we came to it with too much knowledge. But when you saw it the first time and you had individuals bringing their parents whom they had not told they were gay. Yeah. And they were able to tell them at the end of the production. Uh, it changed people's lives. Yeah. And uh, I'm very grateful for Bill and James Lapine. Wow. Well, we're grateful if you guys and look for at bringing the past, it. Guys. Well, did you ever see Mandy Patinkin do it? No, I can't I say did I ever did. Knockout, unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. Played Marvin. Such intensity. We interviewed uh, Randy Graff, 
and she was telling us about Ugh. that experience and how special that was. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, but just piggybacking off of what Kevin says, you know, you and Fran, you are the ones, even though they're creating this work, you are the ones who are putting the money in. You are the ones who are really bringing it to us. So we thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Well, you should you. get yeah. the credit you deserve. Thank you, because we couldn't raise the capital for that show, to be honest with yeah. you. Uh, but Fran made a promise. So we borrowed the money, and uh, had it gone down, we would have uh, lost the money. My goodness. You take big risks. I think yeah, I think we do. really do forget that a lot of the time. Chicago. That was the biggest risk of all. Chicago. Nobody would give us money. Nobody would give us a I theater. Walter telling us a little bit yeah. about it that. It was crazy. Really? So let's we'll remind our listeners, it's done at Encores. You and Fran are not associated with One that weekend Encores of production. Chicago. Yeah. It's very successful audience reaction-wise over there, and I think critically it was successful as well over there, right? Yes. Right? Yes. And then... We're assu- you, I'm, I'm assuming you're assuming that every producer is going to start knocking Absolutely. down the door. How could you miss? Fran and I were there on a Saturday afternoon. Um, I'll tell you how good the show was, and it's sad to tell it to you this way, but it's the truth. We're watching the first act and absolutely over the moon. We were so thrilled. It was so exciting. What a wonderful day in the theater. And a gentleman a few rows in front of us right before intermission died. He keeled over and died. Now, we found out he died later because we got him to the hospital, but he did die. And um, they couldn't pick the curtain up for the second act. They had to wait. Marsha Lewis was a registered nurse playing Mama Morton. That's right. Yeah. And she came running out to try to revive the man. And we're all sitting there absolutely thrilled by the work and so sad that there's a, a, a gentleman with his daughter there. Make a long story short, they hold the curtain, the ambulance comes, they take the gentleman away. We're now maybe an hour into waiting, so I figured, well, that's it. We're dead now. You, nobody's going to revive into the joy of this show. <laughs> well, the poor man <laughs> who left a legacy because everyone just flipped out over the second act, and uh, it, it made me realize that even death couldn't stop just <laughs> like this. You know, so where do you go from there? You like it? Who do you approach? Who do you, how do you get this to Broadway? So uh, we called John and Fred and said, we want to be part of this, so whoever's going to produce it, let us help. Nah, nobody wants it. What do you mean nobody wants it? No, it's all yours. You go ahead and do it. So... We now have the authors who have given us the work, and we now set about to find a theater. Rocco Landisman uh, shows up and does a deal with us for 50-50 partnership for the Martin Beck. <laughs> I go to Sam Cohen, uh, who was the agent for uh, Fosse, Cantor, and Ebb, mm-hmm. and uh, Sam is looking for a huge payday. And we just held our ground. We wouldn't do it. Uh, So he started calling other producers to see who would bid against us, and nobody would because they didn't believe it was worth taking a concert. Right. They didn't see it as the style of the storytelling. Exactly. They only saw it as a concert. None of them felt a concert was worth, in those days, high ticket, 75. 
and no one, no concerts had really had had transferred at all. I mean, we're, we've had no. Finians, we've had a, a couple since then, but no, that was but unheard was of. The first, yeah. yeah. So here he is trying to get our uh, payments up, and we're holding firm to what we believe is right. And we have Rocco as a partner, and we have the Martin Beck, and we have to open by a certain date in the year. And I guess the year was uh, nineteen ninety six. Six. We yeah. had to open. Before the end of '96, that was like the agreement, or that the, was the, just, or we yeah. lost the license, and we're still negotiating the terms. Wow! Because we didn't sign a contract for the show uh, until a year and a half into the run. Uh, so Fran and I opened the show without a contract. <gasps> oh my God! Boy, I should talk be about te- risks. I shouldn't be telling you all of this. This will this will be history. Now, Sam, God bless you. He's, he was a wonderful agent and a wonderful friend. Yeah. So here we are battling over terms, and we have to have a theater to open by a certain date. And Rocco calls me uh, and says, you know, I got a call from Andrew Lloyd Webber, and he would like uh, the Martin Beck for Whistle Down the Wind. <laughs> that hit. And um, I'm going to take it. I said, well, Rocco, I have an agreement with you. He said, I know, but it's Andrew Lloyd Webber. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and this is a, like a revival. So we tore up the partnership, and he tore up the lease, and I'm now out running around trying to find a theater and had to open by the end of 1996 or the rights, well, who knows what Sam would have done at that point. Yeah. Um, uh, dear Jimmy Niederlander uh, had an opening at the Richard Rogers for 12 weeks only to be followed by Steel Pier. So I took it and I uh, did a contract for 12 weeks. <gasps> if I did not find a theater to follow subsequently, we were finished. Uh, luckily, the Schubert's uh, eventually came along and offered us the Schubert Theater as long as Big closed. So Steel Pure is coming into the Richard Rogers. Big has to close at the Schubert. We have 12 weeks to seek a life, and then we must get into the Schubert Theater. Make a long stay. Now we have to raise the money and... Um, no one was handing us money for the show because they believed, again, it was a concert. It right. wasn't worth the price of a ticket yeah. in a theater. Uh, we uh, went out and did strange things, Fran and I, which made us the majority owner of uh, Chicago, uh, dear us. Yeah. And um, uh, we got the show opened at uh, the Rogers. How did you sleep that? <laughs> I mean, oh my goodness. You know that what? time, you know, you're like, we have 12 weeks. We don't have a theater. We got to make sure big clothes. I mean, <laughs> I got to tell you did something. You, sleep? you got to believe in what you're doing in this business. Yeah. You have to have your heart in it and you have to put all those worries aside. Uh, we just were thrilled by this production, thrilled by the caliber of actor and actress on stage and what it was doing to the audience. Mm. And we just went ahead with it on a dream and a prayer. Uh, we, you know, of course we were worried, but not worried to the extent that uh, uh, what would we do if this right. failed? We were just sailing along. <sighs> Make a long story short, 
It started, and oh boy, what a wave. Really? And they weren't theater people either. They were outsiders. There were people that loved music, people from the club scene, young dating, young married. Uh, it wasn't your normal mainstream theater audience. Mm -hmm. And they started pouring in, and it was thrilling. And then, of course, the reviews, you know, uh, front page, New York Times, oh. uh, you know, under the fold, but, but good still, enough. Yeah. And uh, they had a huge yeah. success. Now, Rocco is trying to get rid of Whistle Down the Wind. I bet he is. <laughs> Jimmy is trying to push Steel Pier to the Schubert's at the Schubert, and the Schubert's saying, no, uh -uh. no, we want that show. Now everybody, now you're the most popular guy. I mean. <laughs> and uh, everyone's fighting with everyone, and we were in the catbird seat by that time, and From the rest no is history. Yeah. From nobody wants you to everybody wants you. How incredible is that? And 20 years later, it's still as, as hot and as... Um, as as organic mm -hmm. and as uh, uh, we uh, what, what can I say about what it does to the audience as as fulfilling as that audience expects it to be when they walk in the theater it's still that way I I always teach this in my musical theater history class and I want to thank you for this if you'll go with me for a second had that revival not happened mm. it wouldn't have been so successful that it needed a movie. Had then we not had that movie, we wouldn't have had all the TV shows that are introducing kids to the arts. I agree. You know what I mean? And so you and Fran and your belief mm -hmm. in this show have actually encouraged so many people to get into the arts, whether you're aware of it or not. Because I don't think had we had it's that. Trickle down, it's trickle-down, yeah, it's, for sure. It's the trickle-down that actually sure. works. Oh, yeah, <laughs> so, wow. yeah. Because we're yeah. in a new generation of, of, of true loving of musical theater that we didn't have 20 years ago. And I, I don't think if we... If young, she, young people, yeah. young yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. You know, we see it on social media. It was not like you that You guys revolutionized. Ago. I mean, it's a cultural zeitgeist. It's not just simply, oh, it's a good show on Broadway. I mean, this has huge aftershocks. So I hope you guys get the credit you deserve well, for that. Well, thank you. Thank you. To, yes, I agree with you. The, yeah. the movie was able to be made because of the success, the buzz, and the banner we created. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, the movie had been uh, attempted for 25 years before we came along. Uh, they had tried. They just couldn't get it. Couldn't get it right. Right. And couldn't get it produced. Uh, I think the success of the show uh, did what Miramax needed to get yeah. the piece done. Indeed. But you and Fran and your belief in this, you really did put musicals back on the front page again, and we had not seen mm -hmm. that for years and years and years. Yeah. So thank you for that. Okay. Yeah. I'll, um, I'll take that. <laughs> no, seriously. You know, we had a question for you because we were looking at, you know, the stuff that you guys have produced over the past few years. And it seems to be now it's so many musicals and we don't see so many plays coming out of you guys anymore. So we're not really seeing a cat on the hot tin roof revival. Is there a conscious effort now to steer away from? No, plays, no, no, not at all. Uh, not at all. Um, I, I, Fran and I did Fat Pig in London oh. with a sterling cast. Oh, that yes. was a huge success. Yes. Uh, we're always looking for a play. Play, yeah. uh, love plays, and would do them uh, in in a heartbeat if we find the right ones. What's coming down the pike for you now? Oh my goodness! Uh, <laughs> there, you know, if I start talking to you about the portfolio, <laughs> uh, I, I will tell you one thing that you'll know. Forget the new things we're working on mm. because it's so hard to explain. Sure. 
maybe maybe I'll have a go at one or two. But, Good. But the revivals, um, I was just speaking to wonderful Sana Lapine today, mm. and she and I are going to do a revival in a different look in in a different fashion of Annie Get Your Gun. Oh, marvelous. Yeah, and we're, we're going to try a, a different approach. Oh, I love that. From and the last time we did with Bernadette. Which, yeah, yeah. Which Bernadette and wonderful Reba McIntyre. Oh, oh my gosh. She's, Boy, that was earth shattering. I heard she was like to die for in that show. Yeah. Like, yeah. It was special. It was, yeah. I got to see it. It was oh my God. very special. Yeah. So you got that. And is that something that you initiated or did Sarna come to you? I, um, I initiated because it was something we had done before. And I saw her Sunday in the park with George. And I thought she'd be great for a refreshed, mm. um, revived look at uh, Annie Get Your Gun. Marvelous. Re- remolded, you know, mm-hmm. so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, for, and we wanted to thank you so much for spending so much time with us. Oh, my goodness. I, I feel bad. It you, flies. You gave it us does a real fly. time limit, and I it went does. over. I, I apologize no, no, no. for that. That's, we that's loved fine. it. Uh, but once again, I'm just... petering out. <laughs> <laughs> you got to be young to do these podcasts. <laughs> Kevin, guess what? What, Rob? We now have over 50 iTunes reviews. Huzzah! Huzzah, indeed! We are climbing those iTunes rating charts. That's amazing. How do we climb even higher? Can you take me high enough? Little Rock of Ages for you. Do you know I like that you took it up so high too? You didn't even, you like went right to the tenor place. I was gonna do No Robert Goulet. Like, no. Can you take me high enough? Thanks for coming out tonight. Ooh, and my falsetto there. <laughs> Thank you. And a little Sergio Frankie? Yeah, a little Sergio. It's never over. <laughs> Much like the 24-hour buffet down in the lobby of the Dunes Casino. Me and Sid the Caesar. Two nights only at the Mirage. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Well... Lovely Ooh. listeners, this is where you come in. This is how we're going to climb those iTunes rating charts. That's right. Lovely listeners, if you love us, would you go to iTunes? Click on the iTunes store. Search for Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. Then click on Ratings and Reviews. Under the Customer Reviews, click Write a Review. Then let us know what you think from one to five stars. That's right. And you can leave comments, too, like, Kevin Thomas is a god. Or, Rob, who the hell is Hervé Villachez? Who, 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 who is Hervé Via? Via? Oh my God! I fell for it again. You fell for it. That wasn't even the the script. Never done (laughs) one musical in his entire life, and he gets mentioned more than Stephen. Right, but I love him from James the Bond. Okay, anyway, guys, help us out, please. Please. Thanks, everyone. (laughs) Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.